Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. As Christians, we are built for community. Community can be a source of help, encouragement, and strength. Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill discusses this topic in his sermon titled, Connect. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in your presence today, we seek to know you. We want to know you, and we want to know your will for our lives. We want to know you more clearly, God. And so, God, would you make your word, your will, your way clear to us today? And God, would you give us the strength to follow and obey you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we are talking about connecting with other followers of Jesus. This is actually the third in a series of messages I'm calling Cultivate, Time to Engage. And in this series of messages, we're concentrating on our vision framework right now, which says that full valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact the world for Christ. Let me say that for you again, so you just so you know it. Full valley engagement cultivates disciples who impact the world for Christ. Now, We began in week one by saying God has called each and every one of us to impact our world for Christ. But then the key to that, we recognize, is us engaging with our faith. And we have a process here at Valley that we call the engagement wheel, and it outlines for us four ways that we can engage with our faith so that we see it transform us and so that we can impact the world for Christ. That four-step process includes worship, connect, serve, and share. Four things that we each have the opportunity to do. We can each worship, we can each connect, we can all serve, we can all share our faith in Christ. Now, in week one, uh, or last week actually, we concentrated on worshiping, and we said that the Bible calls us to engage in the habit of worship. And now this week, we're talking about connect and looking at ways that the Bible calls us to connect with other followers of Jesus. At which point, some of you might say to yourselves, you know what, that's fine, that's that's neat, that's great, but I really love the deeper stuff in the Bible. You know, and the Bible is filled with deeper things like telling us about the nature of God and telling us about the future. The Bible delves into truly deep topics like sin, and redemption, and adoption, and sanctification. And you may think, ah, this is neat. It's a little lightweight. Connect with other followers of Jesus. Is that even really theological? Look at Rob. Neat. Theological lightweight. Does he even know the Bible? Well, here's the interesting thing about the concept of connecting with others. I keep being drawn back to this topic of connecting with others and loving one another. I keep being drawn back by the Bible. Now, roughly 18 months ago, I preached a sermon right in here, and the topic was connecting with other followers of Jesus and loving one another. It was a theological treatment of the topic. It is one of the longest sermons I have ever written. I found it recently and realized, boy, 
I must have been swinging for the fences on this one, thinking I was going to write everything that could be written on the topic of loving others. And it raises the question, was there after that one even anything left to say on the topic? But as I study the Bible, I find the Bible coming back to this topic over and over and over again. Repeatedly, the Bible calls us to love one another. Repeatedly, the Bible tells us that we we have failed to love one another. Repeatedly, the Bible seeks to help us understand that when we get the Holy Spirit in our lives, God's Holy Spirit helps us to love one another. The Bible just keeps coming back to this topic of loving one another and justice and community with other followers of Christ over and over and over again. And as we look at our society through the lens of the Bible, we look outward and we see, hey, you know what? Society's not really aligned with God's plan on this topic. Society is not characterized by loving one another. It is not just. It is not characterized by true, authentic community. And even when we look around at one another inside of the church, we have to ask, are we always loving Are we always just? Do we always have authentic Christian community? The answer is no, which means that this topic is something that we are going to have to come back to over and over and over again. It turns out that this topic is actually deeply, deeply theological. As we look at God's story from creation all the way to conclusion, we discover that community is written into every chapter of God's story. It's right there in chapter one, creation. God made the world and everything in it and us. And in the beginning, he made us for community with him and for community with one another. It's right there in chapter one of God's story. Then in chapter two, brokenness. We sinned, which means that we disobeyed God. When we did, we broke our relationship with God. We know that. We broke and damaged the world around us as a result of our sin and disobedience. But we find out as well that we broke, we damaged, we destroyed our relationships with one another. It's because of sin that guilt and shame and fear and violence and all kinds of other relational consequences came into the world. And try as we might, we're not going to simply fix what's broken in human relationships with pop psychology and, and, and happy wishes about living well together. It's not going to happen. It's going to take something more fundamental. And so as we come to chapter 3, Jesus, we discover that while we can't save ourselves, God sent Jesus, his only son, into the world. Jesus comes, he takes on human flesh and becomes one of us in community with us face to face. And Jesus takes on the full weight of our human sin, all of it. And Jesus died to pay the price for our sin, our sin against God and the sins that we have damaged one another by. And Jesus died to pay the price for that sin, all of that sin, so we could be forgiven of all of that sin and adopted as sons and daughters of God. Then as we get to chapter 4, the church, we discover that because we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, God has made us part of one big family That means that we're brothers and sisters to one another. We're part of the church. 
And inside the church, God has given us his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit shapes us in a complementary way to one another such that we are all members of one body. We fit together in God's plan and purpose. And God's Holy Spirit is now living inside of us, working in us, reshaping us into the image of Christ so that we can love God rightly and we can love one another justly and be in community. And then for those of you that think that this is, you know, loving one another, community, blah, 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 chapter 5 is going to be really tough, okay? Because chapter 5 is Jesus' return. And when Jesus returns and we are resurrected in the end, we find that we live forever with God, deep and theological, and we live forever with one another. So like if you're a loner, the gospel is really bad news for you because we live together with one another forever. Community with other followers of Jesus is deeply, deeply theological, woven into God's story from creation all the way past the conclusion. But here's the thing. For some of us, theology is not going to get us there. It's not going to convince us that community is yet critically important. And so we turn today to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, it was in all likelihood written by King Solomon, the son and heir of David, the great king of Israel. Now, when Solomon became king of Israel, God invited him to ask for anything Solomon wanted. And Solomon responded by asking God for the gift of wisdom. And God gave Solomon wisdom in abundance. Solomon was known as the wisest person to ever live. Now, in his wisdom, Solomon didn't always do the right thing. Sometimes Solomon made wrong choices despite all of his wisdom and understanding. And the book of Ecclesiastes records his wisdom, and some of that wisdom is gained by learning tough lessons in life. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes to us about community, and his words about community are just starkly wise. It's plain life wisdom. And so we turn today to the book of Ecclesiastes to tell us about community with other people. And as we do so, what we find first is that Solomon is telling us that toiling away alone leaves us empty. Toiling away leaves us empty. Now, we discover this in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, where Solomon wrote, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Now, as Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, in all likelihood, he was an older man. And he's looking back on his life with the wisdom that God gave him and the wisdom of accumulated experience. And he is, he's considering what he calls everything under the sun. He's considering the big topics in life. And when he thinks about some of these topics, he discovers that what we think about them is vanity. Now, one of the examples that he's giving us, the one that we're studying here in chapter 4, verses 7 and following, is he gives us the example of an individual toiling away all alone. 
Now, this person that's toiling away all alone is working without the benefit of a coworker, particularly a member of his family to join him in this work. He has no brother to work alongside of him. He has no son or heir for whom he would be working to leave a legacy. And so Solomon says this is vanity. It is emptiness. Why is it vanity and emptiness? He begins by saying it's vanity and emptiness because there is no end to the work. When you have no one to share the work with, the work is never quite done. When you have no one to share the work with, there's no one who will say to you, hey, we've done a good job today. We've done a good amount of work. Let's quit. Instead, Solomon knew that with no one to say, hey, it's a good day's work, we would just keep working. We would keep working and keep working and keep working. And not only that, when we toil away alone and we try to provide everything that we need all on our own for ourselves, by ourselves, it turns out it's just more difficult. And so Solomon says the work never ends. Plus, Solomon's pointing out that work doesn't even have a purpose in when we're doing it all by ourselves. He's speaking specifically about having no one to share the joy with. When there's no one to share the joy with, what is the purpose of work? And when no one is there to whom we can give the benefit of our work, there's no one to take our legacy, there's no heir, there's no purpose, there's no point to it, then Solomon says what takes over instead is greed. And we become fascinated with the produce of our own hands and all we want is more and more and more with no one to share it with. And so he says about this, That kind of toiling away alone is vanity, it's emptiness, it leaves us empty. Now, in our society, we have a myth that we are actually never alone, we're never fundamentally on our own. In fact, we are deeply connected to one another. Our our technology leaves us constantly connected one to the other. I had the opportunity to see this not too long ago. I went to Denver, Colorado with my wife to participate in a learning cohort with other pastors of churches like ours. And these pastors, because of technology, because of airlines, came from all over the country. And we spent a couple of days together learning and praying together and getting to know one another. And now, because of technology, we're connected with one another. We have community with one another. We can reach out to each other with questions for help and for for prayer. And it, it leaves you thinking, gosh, isn't technology amazing? I am now so connected with this group of pastors from around the country that I'd never met until a few weeks ago. But the interesting thing is that as my wife Tammy and I were preparing to leave, we were heading toward the airport in Denver, we discovered that one of our closest friends that we have known for years was landing in Denver. We were heading to the airport to leave Denver. This friend was coming to Denver for some time with some family. We thought, oh, how cool, we're going to connect in the airport or in Denver. But that family had plans of their own and our schedule lasted right until the last minute and we didn't overlap. We didn't even see one another in Denver. And you have to ask, what kind of world is this when we can fly to a whole other place, meet people we've never known before, but we don't have time and can't connect with one of our oldest and dearest friends? Are we really as connected as we think we are? 
so many warning signs would suggest that we're not nearly as connected as we think we are. I don't know if you were paying attention to the news headlines this past week, but a government panel released a set of recommendations this past week. They, they made the recommendation that every American be uh, studied, be, be quizzed, be asked about the amount of depression in their lives. And the same panel asked that every American age 65 and under be asked about the presence of anxiety in their lives. Now, the way that this will work is that when you go for a healthcare exam, you'll answer a bunch of additional questions. You'll ask questions about the level of depression in your life and answer questions about the level of anxiety in your life. And now, before you ask ask the question, you know, what's this all about? Am I for this or against it? Just understand why the panel is making this recommendation. They're making the recommendation because studies have indicated that the amount of depression in this country, in the society, has grown significantly in the past few years. The instances of anxiety are going up quickly Instances of all kinds of mental health problems are on the rise dramatically and quickly, and instances of suicide attempts and suicide thoughts are going up quickly as well. Now, what does this all mean? It means that there is something deeply broken about us, and there are so many potential causes that we could explore of where this brokenness comes from, but one of them has to be the fact that we are not connected with one another. Our connections are being thinned. We're not connected with one another. And so we understand exactly what it is that Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, not being connected with one another, toiling away alone, is vanity. The word that is translated here as vanity could also be translated as emptiness or a vapor, a mist. It's a nothingness. Toiling away alone, being fundamentally alone, is vanity, emptiness. It's a vapor. It's nothing. Now, that's not to say that spending time in silence or solitude is a bad thing. Nor is that to say that being single is a bad thing. Being with others, community, takes a lot of forms and a lot of shapes. But if you have ever been fundamentally alone in society, the, the results, the statistics are telling us that a lot of us are having this experience. If you've ever felt as if you are fundamentally alone, then you will know that it's vanity, it's emptiness, it's vapor. If you've ever been fundamentally alone, you're going to recognize Solomon is right. Solomon goes on to say that connecting with people makes life fuller. He builds this case in verses 9 through 12, where he gives us four quick parables about the fact that connecting with people makes life fuller. He writes, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
And so now, Solomon gives us four quick proverbs here, and these four proverbs, first of all, they, they point out the emptiness, the vanity, and the vapor of the condition that he has seen under the sun of being alone in verses 7 and 8. But secondly, these four proverbs extol the virtue and the importance of being part of community. The first proverb is very simple. It says that two people are better than one. And he's speaking again now about the workplace. He's saying, when two are together, they have a better reward. They're able to share the work. They're able to produce greater riches. They're able to leave a legacy to someone. But two are better than one at work as well, because not only do they share the rewards and increase the rewards, but they share the risks. Very practically, if someone falls down, there is someone there to pick you up. And so Solomon concludes quickly, two are better than one. Then in his second proverb, he addresses the fact that if you're living in Palestine and it's really cold at night, if you lay down by yourself, you're going to be cold. But if you lay down with someone else, you're going to share body warmth. It's a very practical type of reality. In the third quick parable, he talks about the fact that one individual attacked by another might be overcome, but if the person being attacked has a partner, someone to share the struggle with, then one person will not likely overcome them. It's very pragmatic. Two people are, are more difficult to defeat than one person is alone. And then Solomon gives what is probably his most famous parable or proverb about being uh, in community. He says, a, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken, meaning that a rope composed of multiple parts is, not, uh, is stronger than a rope that's composed of one part. And he's, he's by that saying community makes us stronger than when we are by ourselves. Four quick Proverbs to demonstrate the virtue and the wisdom of being part of a community. Now, our experiences with conversation demonstrate the fact that Solomon is right. I don't know about you, but I've always heard that when you meet somebody, you should engage in small talk. Keep, keep it light. You know, you're going to talk about the weather. How's the weather outside today? Don't you love that fall weather outside today? Boy, those leaves are changing early this year. And, and that you keep initial conversations with someone at the level of small talk. There's subjects that you are supposed to avoid at any cost in the first few conversations with someone. And we do this because we're trying to smooth human relationships. And, and we do that because it turns out people are anxious about meeting other people. We go into meeting another person concerned about what they're going to think. Will they like us? Will we like them? And, and we have such a high degree of, of tension about meeting a new person. Social scientists wanted to study our whole way of thinking about this. And so they, they did studies to ask the question, is it really that tough to meet another human being? And what their studies indicated is, you know, it's just, it's just really not that difficult. People are, are longing to be met and to know one another. And then they asked the question, does small talk really help smooth the way in conversation? And what they discovered is small talk does very little to build a relationship between people. But when you begin to discuss deeper topics, who are you really? What do you want in life? What are your dreams? What are you thinking about? What are you learning? People walk away from those conversations feeling a deep sense of connection with the person with whom they've been talking. Why? Because as it turns out, 
we all want to relate. We all want to be known and understood. We all want to know others and understand them, and we all long to build connections with one another because connecting with people, as it turns out, makes life fuller. Social scientists have now demonstrated that Solomon was right, and the Bible is guiding us directly and rightly. Connecting with people makes life fuller. Why? Because when we connect with people, we display God's image. When we connect with people, we display God's image. We need to do a little basic theology right now, basic theology of the Trinity, okay? What we know about God is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let's just do some basic Trinitarian theology today. And I'm going to say some things. I'll say them quickly. And and you're going to see some patterns here. Our basic Trinitarian theology is this. God the Father is God, but is not the Son or the Spirit. That makes sense. Father is not Son or Spirit, okay? God the Son, Jesus, is God, but is not the Father, or the Spirit. Does that make sense? God, the Holy Spirit is God, but is not the Father or the Son. Okay? This is the basic understanding of the Trinity. What it implies is that God has community, and we're beginning to see that it's at his heart, it's at his nature. There's a big Greek term that that helps us to understand this. The term is perichoresis. And perichoresis is a Greek word, a theological term, that refers to the mutual indwelling of the persons of the Trinity. What it means is that each person of the Trinity dwells in and is dwelt in by the other members of the Trinity. Now, you're probably going, peri, huh? Perichoresis, and what mutual indwelling, what does that mean? It means very simply this, God the Father always has community with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Jesus always has community, not surprisingly, with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit always has community with the Father and the Son. Augustine, a great theologian of the ancient church, put it this is actually simply, it's going to be a little confusing, but if you, if you read this a couple of times, you'll find that it's wise. It's a bit of a head-scratcher at first, but this is what Augustine wrote about the Trinity. Each are in each, okay, and all in each, and each in all, and all are one. Abundantly clear, Right? God the Father always has community with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son always has community with the Father and the Spirit. God the Spirit always has community with the Father and the Son. And what we discover is that this is God's eternal nature. This is the nature of our triune God. And I understand that this is a bit of a head scratcher, but what it means is that God is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one being or essence. That is who God was before creation, that is who God will be after the consummation, which means that is eternally God's nature. God is always Father, Son, and Spirit. Community is at God's heart and in his nature eternally. 
Now, if you don't understand why that's so important, let me, let me show you how that relates to us as human beings, okay? We are made in God's image. And in God's image, we are created for community. We are created for community with God. And we are created for community with one another. Which is why in Genesis chapter 2, after creating the first man and putting him in a garden where he had everything he needed to keep him well-fed and entertained for eternity, before sin ever entered the world to wreck things, God who created the first man looked at him alone in the garden and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Because the man was created in God's image to be in community with God himself and with other human beings. Our nature is created in the image of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit for eternity. And we, like God, are created for community with him and with one another. Now, John Donne wrote about this in his meditation number 17 and and gave us a beautiful set of images that help us to understand this on a very practical and pragmatic level. John Donne was a 16th century English writer, poet, theologian, and, and churchman in the Church of England. He, in the 16th century in England, wrote a series of meditations. Number 17 has some very famous lines to it, and it reads, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thy own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And so Dunn, in the end, calls us to compassion for other people and to an understanding that whatever happens to another human being ends up affecting us. If another person is diminished, if another person is lost, if another person dies, then somehow I am diminished. I have lost something. A part of me has died. And he helps us understand why. Why? Because we're all connected. None of us stands entirely alone. He says, no one is an island. I love the way he takes these very concrete things and makes the sublime and the difficult to understand attached to it in such a beautiful way. No one is an island, he says. Instead, we are all part of something bigger. We are all connected to one another. We were created in that way, to be connected with one another, to connect with God and to connect with one another, which, which means we are supposed to connect with other followers of Jesus. And we, when we do so, we are displaying God's image and God's goodness for all the world to see. We're doing what we were made to do, and we are doing what God wants us to do. And so that leads to an inescapable conclusion, doesn't it? Let's connect with other Christians. Let's connect with other Christians. Now, I've stood before you repeatedly this fall And I probably sound like a broken record at this point. Hey, we have community groups starting this fall. Everybody should join a community group. And you're like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. I've heard about community groups. What, again, with the community groups? 
We need to be in connected community with other followers of Jesus. And if a community group is not a way that you want to engage with your faith, then I would encourage you to find some way to get into community with other Christians. It could be to find a mentor for yourself. It could be to find a group of Christian friends. We need to find a way to connect with other Christians, with other followers of Jesus. Now, in a future week, we're going to talk about connecting with non-Christians. I'm not ruling that out. It's just that's not what we happen to be talking about today. This truth is applied to my life as well. I have been a part of small groups and groups of other Christians with my wife and on my own for years. And this fall, Tammy, my wife, and I joined a community group here at Valley. And beyond that, I'm a part of several groups with other pastors where we meet together and encourage one another. And I have a mentor. And my mentor is in my life partly to share life, but also to keep me focused on making and multiplying disciples of Jesus. I'm very committed personally to being in community with other followers of Jesus. As we do so, though, it is critical that we get in community with honesty. When we get into community, it's so very easy to put up a front that makes us look good. And to see God shape us in the direction of being disciples of Jesus, we have to let down some of those facades and barriers and tell the truth about who we are. When we are in community with other followers of Jesus, it's important that we let them know the things that we're celebrating and we celebrate those things with them. And when we have questions, we ask questions. And when we're hurting, we let them comfort us and encourage us. And when we are under attack, we fight together. In order for community to be what it is supposed to be, in order for community to be what Solomon is writing about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in order for community to fulfill the image of God that is inside of us, community with other Christians has got to include honesty. Why is community so important? Because as it turns out, we only become disciples in a person-to-person, life-on-life kind of way. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, the Bible actually says you are a disciple. That's just who you are. Get used to it. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you understand what I've told you already, which is that our vision framework in this season calls for us to cultivate disciples who impact the world for Christ. And it's a great thing to think about cultivating other disciples who will go out in the name of Valley and of Jesus and impact the world for Christ. But please understand that when we say that we are cultivating disciples who impact the world for Jesus, we're talking about you. Understand that the call is on me and on you and on every one of us to become disciples who impact our world for Christ. That's what God expects of us. And here at Valley, our job is the cultivating. We till the soil. We plant the seeds. We water the rows. Sometimes we pull the weeds in order that you might become disciples of Jesus. But for it to work in your life, you have to engage. You have to engage 
with your faith. And part of what it means to engage with your faith is to connect with other followers of Jesus in community that's characterized by honesty. So let's do what Solomon and the Bible are telling us to do. It, it's theological, and it just makes sense. Let's connect with other followers of Jesus who can shape us as disciples who impact the world for Christ. Let's connect with other Christians. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.